Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Paula. Hello, Larry Dean. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Very productive day. How so? Well, I started the morning with my training buddy, Kelly, one of the athletes you coach so well also, I must say. Thank you. (laughs) And... Whew, that workout you gave her today, we worked. It's good. <laughs> As my dad would say, I'll put hair on your chest. Well, I don't think female athletes can really relate to that. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, so had a good run, mowed the yard, and I think I even heard your dad compliment maybe the yard. He thought maybe a professional had done it. A professional did do it. <laughs> And no, don't try to hire me to mow your yard if you're listening to this. Mm. I do enjoy mowing our yard, but I would not want to mow yards for a living. So you use a push mower. Would you say that mowing our grass is good cross training? I mean, the push mower has self-propel on it, so I guess it's a good walk. I'll tell you what's good cross training, though. Weed eating. We live on a corner lot that has sidewalks. And so there is a ton of edging, and our home has two driveways, so I also have to edge all that. And of course, I edge with a weed eater, just because I like the clean line. Yeah, you do a great job with it. I am a professional at walking backward with a weed eater. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I wonder if that could become a sport. We could weed eat, race, and see who has the straightest edge. Mm -hmm. Me versus you. Oh. There's no competition. You went. That reminds me of... Uh, I grounded him from our weed eater last time he edged. For some reason, that reminds me of like these lumberjack competitions where you're seeing who can most quickly cut this massive piece of wood in half with an axe. I don't know why that makes me think of that. I don't know. I hadn't been swinging any axes lately. But I'm thinking that's an endurance sport. Although it doesn't take very long as strong and as sharp as their axes are. Speaking of axes, we do have a axe-throwing venue in our hometown that we should check out sometime. That would be fun. I heard it's fun. Speaking of fun, I had an opportunity to run with my buddy Jared this past weekend. I haven't ran with very many people recently because I was overcoming an injury, but he had reached out to me and he was agreeable to running the volume and pace that I was interested in. So it was great to catch up with him. He reminded me of a story, a Jared story. A long time ago, me and the LPG group, we came up with a route, a very hilly route. It's a 16-mile route, and it became known as the Death March. Did it go out to habit? It did, and and I've heard people in my circle call it Dean's Death March, but uh, it's very tough course. And according to Jared's story, we were finishing up this 16-mile route one summer day in the heat. And we came upon a golf course 
near the end of the route. Now, Jared grew up on a farm and on a tractor, not on a golf course or a golf cart. So when our mutual friend Pat said the water fountain is over there, Jared went in that direction and he saw this pole sticking up out of the ground with a handle on top. And he noticed if you grab that handle and you pull it up and down, water comes out. And he thought, that water really looks dirty. But he was really thirsty. It was a really hot day. So he drinks some of this water. And then then the rest of us noticed what he was doing and said, Jared, that's the ball washer. And he didn't know what a ball washer was, but now he does. Was this at Windridge? Windridge Country Club here in our hometown. So that's a Jared story. But it was great catching up with him. Speaking of water, since we're doing this speaking of thing to go to our tangents that we want to talk about. Okay. I was swimming with Eliane yesterday. And when we designed our pool in the shallow end against the wall, we created a bench that we thought would be just a nice place to relax and sit. Well, we never sit there, but it has turned into an amazing baby pool for Eliane. She just walks back and forth on that little ledge and then every once in a while she just lunges forward and goes underwater and it doesn't phase her a bit. It doesn't phase her at all. It doesn't. She just comes back up and she's neither happy nor sad. It's like it, I mean she's still happy I guess, but she never misses a beat. I mean I'm right there and I catch her somewhat, but I mean her little face goes in the water. I remember when Bethany was a little baby, we rented a VHS tape from the public library called Water Babies. Do you remember that? I do. Oh my goodness. They were throwing these six-month-old babies into the swimming pool and just letting them figure out how to not drown. It was terrifying. I never was brave enough to submerge our kids. I think that would be against the law today. You'd think, but no. I mean, there are programs in probably bigger cities than ours that you take your babies and they learn to swim and if they don't you go to jail no i don't i don't think that's a thing i think they do (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to find out yeah but anyway ellie's doing this herself and the first time it was an accident because i wasn't expecting her to lunge so i just grabbed her real quickly and tried not to overreact because I didn't want to create fear in her. But the human body is just pretty amazing. Yes. As is Eliane. Yeah. So in this podcast, we are going to continue our conversation with Mike Hilliard, the cross-country and track coach for the University of Southern Indiana Screaming Eels. And I was really impressed with the first half of our conversation, which was in our previous podcast, with his memory of all of these athletes and their specialties, their unique abilities and training styles, their high school best performances, their college best performances, and then also what they're doing today. He has really been invested in his athletes, and that's probably part of the reason why he's been so successful. Yes, after a quarter of century of coaching athletes, you would think some of those details would fade, but I mean, he's just so passionate and you can just tell he loves his athletes and he loves his sport. Yeah. So I think our listeners will learn a lot from him. If you didn't hear last Monday, you can listen to this one first and go back and catch the rest. It's a great interview. All right. 
let's bring Mike back on. What would you say is your training philosophy? First of all, with our incoming freshman kids, we always try to get a good grasp on what their volume was the last one to two years of high school. And with a lot of kids, it might be 50 miles a week over the summer and fall, but then during the spring, they ran the 800 and their volume dipped to 20 and they haven't ran 50 miles a week in six months. You know, so we can't just go from where were, where were they six months ago and then just jump right into that. We try to keep it pretty moderate, you know, with the kids coming in to the point that a lot of them are probably a little bit undertrained. The really good ones are probably undertrained. Some of the other kids, you know, it might be a little bit more on point for them, but we always try to climb volume as much as we can. We try to give the kids a range every week, you know, not just a hard, hard and fast set number of say, okay, you're running 50 miles this week. Instead, it's your range is 47 to 52, whatever feels right. So if, if that kid's in, kid ends up running 52, 52, 52, 52 every week and they're banging out workouts and racing great, so then maybe we change that range to 50 to 54, you know, and let them feel it out. And that's kind of how we go about climbing volume. If they're struggling to get through a long run and they're struggling to finish workouts at prescribed paces that should be attainable for them, if they're struggling to do that, then we'll go the opposite direction and cut some volume. Um, my philosophy is before we increase volume, number one, your workouts need to be on point. Your long runs need to be solid and your race performances need to reflect that. And if you can do that for an extended period of time, then let's talk. But if you're struggling through all of that and you think that more volume is going to be the key right away, that's not going to work right away. We certainly try to run pretty good volume. But as I said before, there's no rules that apply the same for everyone. Chase Broughton was a 70 mile a week guy that was a five-time All-American and Tyler Pence was running 110 miles a week and he would taper to like 95 to 98 on a race week because if he did below 90, he said he just felt flat. So I guess if I have a philosophy, it's from a training standpoint, tempo work and threshold work is present every single week that we're training. When we get into the championship, the championship phase of the season, we don't introduce any new elements to training that we have not been doing all year long. It's essentially the same cycle of workouts, but we'll manipulate, meaning it may be the same, same number of intervals. It might be slightly shorter if it's in the last two weeks, cut the volume a little bit, but the rest will get shorter. The pace will get faster, but there's no new stimulus. Over 25 years of coaching, I don't know how many kids have told me that at the high school level, when it was time to peak, they would start ripping 200s and 300s, which they haven't touched all season. I had a kid named Michael Jordan, who was a, it's a famous name, but not a lot of people associate that with running. But Michael ran in the steeplechase at the Olympic trials just last week. He runs for the Army world-class athlete program. His uh, senior year of high school, uh, I saw him run a few times. I watched him run 926 uh, about four weeks out from the state meet. At the state meet, he ran about 950. Well, through the two rounds of the high school season, he went from a peak of about 48 to 50 miles a week. The next week, he cut to 30. The next week, he cut to 25, and he ran 20 miles a state of the week. The week. So, so that's four weeks of that. He was detrained by the time he got to the state meet. He had told me about his taper. And of course, you don't ever want a kid to think you're not going to be ready for this. First of all, I don't, I never want to step on a coach's toes, but my experience as a coach told me that 
this kid's detrained and this is going to be, this is going to be a problem for him. So after the race, uh, he called me a couple of days later and said, should I take a break? I said, maybe a couple of days, but you've already had a four week break. <laughs> it's time to get back to work. And fast forward, Michael still holds our school record in the steeplechase and uh, was a multiple time All-American. He was an interesting one because we sometimes butted heads on what I thought he should be doing and what he thought he needed to do. As he's matured and grown up, he's apologized for being so stubborn at times. He, he was certainly a challenge at times, but it was the biggest challenge with him was holding him back because he always wanted to do more quality, more quality, more quality. And he always wanted to do it. You know, like I want to be an 820 steeplechaser. I need to run these reps at this pace. Michael, you're not an 820 steeplechaser today. Like you can't do that and it'd be productive. You've, you've got to follow the steps. Yeah, he's, he's got a couple more years left, left as an athlete, and then he'll be a college coach somewhere, I'm sure. And he'll be a good one. He'll probably be giving me fits with recruiting and probably beating up on us. <laughs> like Tyler Pence at Illinois Springfield. Uh, you know, he was the two-time national champ for us, and he I've never met a more competitive person. It didn't matter if you were playing a board game or running a race. He did not want to lose at anything. And he's the same way as a coach. He, he had a young man run 1347 for 5,000 meters this spring. Like Jones, he's the best athlete in our conference. So, you know, and then Chase at Bellarmine, they were in our league for a year and then they transitioned to D1. So I was dealing with Chase at Bellarmine. I was dealing with, with Tyler there. And I, I told a few of my coaching friends, I said, I feel like Dr. Frankenstein, like I've created this monster and now I, it's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> So our coaching model is a whole lot different because we coach online and our athletes can live and be anywhere. So we rarely see them in person, but we tailor their training and set it all up online. So if they're doing the like a third, 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 like you were talking about earlier, we may actually have pace ranges for the first third and then the second third and the last third, like kind of customizing it to where they are either to keep them from going too fast or not putting in enough effort. Yeah. Do you do anything like that? As you well know, you know, especially coaching online, you're coaching people in, in, in different parts of the country. And they, they, the, the differences can be temperature. It can be humidity and dew point. It could be altitude. It could be, if you're in Kansas or Iowa in the spring, it could be 35 mile per hour sustained winds. You never know what those elements may be. And those are huge factors. The nice part for me being there is I can feel that and understand what it is, you know, on that day. So we may show up at the track and I'll say, I know I said this is the range, but, you know, if we were racing a 5K today, your your goal in these conditions wouldn't be 1430. It'd probably be 1505. So we're going to bring it back to that, you know, so we want to make sure that it's not an overstimulus that's going to put them two steps backwards or or take an extra three or four days to recover from when you have a second workout scheduled in another three or four days so the goal is always to keep the ball rolling forward let's not overdo it at any one point so when I was an athlete you know coaching philosophy at that time was well you just got to be tough and just do it anyway well that usually didn't work out it, it, I think there's a lot of reasons why at the high school level the collegiate level kids are running a lot faster today. And certainly there's shoe technology and certainly there's recovery tools and things that we never knew anything about and post-run nutrition and all of those things. But also, I think, you know, a lot of the parts of the training equation are a lot more refined today than they were 
20, 25 years ago. So, so to circle back to your question, yeah, you know, we, we certainly will vary it and our freshmen know <laughs> it's funny. Like the girls will tell the freshmen, you know, the first couple workouts, Hey, don't get your feelings hurt. If coach pulls you early, it's just part of it. It happened to me. It still happens to me. You know, when, when I can see that they're at a point of diminishing returns, you know, if we've adjusted, you know, for that day and, and they get it, let's say the target is 14 times 400 meters on, on a minute recovery at X pace and they get through 10 and rep 11 is four seconds off and rep 12 is five seconds off. Sometimes I may say, take an extra 30 seconds and let's go ahead and run the next one. And if that's still off, then we, okay, we are past the point of positive returns today. You know, we can, we can stay out here and keep beating a dead horse, or we can say we've done this amount of volume of productive work already. Let's take that and put it in the bank instead of let's just keep hammering away and just negate everything else you've already done because your workout in three days is going to be garbage too, because we're just going to keep driving you into the ground. I am much more prone to pull an athlete from a workout than to let them do extra. So technology has evolved substantially over your coaching career. Do you utilize and capture their training data or do you? We we are not at that point yet, but that's coming soon. You know, like all of the kids now, almost all of them have heart rate function on their watches. Some of them are more accurate than others, but that's a lot easier to track now than it was a few years ago, where trying to, you know, to put a polar chest strap on every kid. I've always been kind of conflicted by that. Um, And I've always, I guess it's made my job a little bit tougher because I've been standoffish to it. My whole feeling on it is number one, more data is better. So we need to do better about collecting more data. But number two, I don't want the kids to get so focused on the data that they, what's the phrase I use sometimes, paralysis by analysis, where they get so caught up in the numbers that they forget how to compete. I've always kind of done it the artistic way. And sometimes that's not as accurate. The upside of that is, you know, the kids stay a little bit more focused on just competing. But at the same time, that puts a little bit more pressure on me to, you know, to, to analyze and hope we're getting it right. And as, as you know, um, and this is an argument for, you know, uh, capturing more data. But by the way, what do you guys use Training Peaks or what kind of software do you use? We use Training Peaks. So I actually just signed up for a free seven day so that I can analyze that and see how we can apply it from a running standpoint. Certainly much easier on the bike, especially with power data to analyze those things. With running, it's a little bit more tricky because even heart rate, we have kids that have max heart rates of 220 and others at 190. And then their lactate threshold numbers, if we don't get everybody in the lab and test them, then it's a little bit harder to do that. So it is a lot of work. It's a lot of work with 60 kids, you know, uh, when I'm kind of a one-man band. We are going to start, as, as long as I can figure out every all the metrics out with, with training peaks, I know that the training stress score, there's a lot of things there that can be very, very beneficial for us to, to manage over the course of a 13-week season. Yeah. If you have a question about training peaks, feel free to reach out and we can try to help you. I will do that. It's really neat the way it communicates with Garmin. We're able to put in, sometimes we just put in rates of perceived exertion so the athletes yes. 
are thinking about how they're feeling or whatever, but sometimes we'll actually put in a workout where we want them to hit certain paces when they're doing a tempo or threshold and those workouts automatically show up on their watch. And then the watch complains to them if they're too high or too low. And you can set it based on pace or heart rate or a number of things. And it's really, it's kind of like you're in their head coaching them through the watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cer- yeah. Certainly. I, I, I can definitely see the benefit of that. We use RPE as a metric, you know, for them to, to gauge. The biggest problem with RPE is, you know, some kids have the pain tolerance of a firm handshake and others you can punch right in the face and they don't feel anything. <laughs> yeah. Paula's like that. She's got a pretty high pain tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. You saying that because she's sitting next to you? It's the, it's the real deal. <laughs> she, she ran a marathon and broke her femur and still finished the marathon. Wow. Not no, I, no I just meant because she can tolerate you. She's got a high. Oh, no. well, remember that? <laughs> he, he's, he's pretty palatable. Pretty palatable. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned tempo workouts and threshold. Tell us about some of your key workouts. Is, is there a, do you have a favorite like VO2 max workout that you do with your athletes? We don't do, we do a lot more, I guess in cycling terms, it would be called sweet spot work, you know, critical velocity type of work, you know, where one, one of my favorites is, um, you know, and this is essentially threshold intervals, um, which it's faster than threshold pace, but because of the breaks and the length of them, you know, you're really only beyond threshold um, heart rate for a very, very short period of time. We'll do uh, for the guys something like eight to 10 times a kilometer. At, um, and we use the 10 man training calculator to it's very it's a really quick, easy tool for me to plug in their current level where they're at, assign paces, and it takes the emotion out of it as well. You know, like, oh, I think this kid can do this. So we're going to do this when, well, all the data here says that this is where they're at. So this is where we're going to work out. And usually if you get it right, they can fly through the workout. No problem. You know, when, when, when you try to get excited and say, I think they can handle a little bit more is usually when it crashes and burns. So that's one of my favorite workouts because we can do that. You know, they can get 10 kilometers or running in get pretty close to race pace and bounce off that and be ready to do something again, you know, after, after two recovery days. Um, for the girls, generally, we would modify that workout to 800 meters. So the rest would be about the same as the guys, maybe five or 10 seconds more. But the length of the intervals, I, I usually try to look at it in terms of effort over time and not distance, you know, because your body only knows time and effort, not how far you ran. So, if the guys are doing critical velocity Ks and they're running three flat to 307, for a lot of our girls, that's exactly what a critical velocity 800 would be, maybe three flat to 305. So they're basically getting the same stimulus on the same day. It's just less volume for the girls, but heart rate elevated for the same amount of time, the same amount of rest. And even within training groups, you know, like take someone like Jen Camastri, Jen ran. Uh, 16.15 this spring, the 5K, and 33.52 in the 10K. She can do critical velocity Ks and run 3.16 to 3.19 all day. We may have her and a couple other girls doing Ks while a lot of the other group is doing 800s instead. But they're really, if you look at it in terms of time, they're, they're doing the same workout. 
Yeah, we um, transitioned almost all of our athletes to time-based workouts rather than distance-based because from a distance, we feel like we can control that. Oh, yeah. There. Right, for sure. Another favorite workout of mine that, that we do several times a year is what we call, we call it a 10% tempo. So the 10% is 10% of your training volume for the week. Now with the guys, we cap that at a hundred mile week. So the longest 10% tempo any of the guys do is 10 miles. And that's generally somewhere around what their marathon pace could be. And that's where it would start in the fall, you know, when it's August and it's still muggy and um, we haven't done a lot of that yet. And then, you know, we'll repeat that three or four times over the fall. Usually every two to three weeks, we'll do one of those. Always on a week that we're not competing because that's a that's a longer block of time at a pretty good effort. I don't ever like to go into races when we're just gutted, you know, <laughs> going to the line. So, you know, for some kids, a, a, a 10% tempo might only be four and a half miles. For some other kids, it might be nine or 10, but it's the same volume of their total same chunk of their total volume for the week for everybody so it's a little bit you know easier to manage long term when we look at it that way you know okay you were now now you're at 60 miles a week that now those tempos are six and generally as as their total volume over a long period of time gets higher and higher they're able to handle those with without any issues Um, so that's that's another key one we do a lot of what I would just call bread and butter, peanut butter and jelly stuff. It's not real fancy. You know, like I still like to do big 400 sets and it starts out with longer recoveries where it's really more neuromuscular than anything else. Like we may do it earlier in the season where, you know, we're, we're just going to get five or six miles of volume of running in today at this target pace and get them used to running that rhythm for a while, you know, and then as we repeat that cycle, the rest will get shorter and shorter and shorter where we'll start the season where we might be going one-to-one recovery on those. And by the end of the season, it's like 40 seconds, 30 seconds recovery. And, and we're running faster because it's cooler and conditions are faster, but it's the same feel. Let's just go out and be relaxed running this rhythm. Because, and that's, you know, I found over time that that is the one most glaringly absent skill that high school kids have. They're used to running reps in practice, just hard. They never learn to run relaxed. It's supposed to be hard, you know, so their fists are clenched and their face is clenched. And to, to get them to make that leap where, yes, you're going to hurt. But, you know, I'll, I always reference um, Bernard Legat and Galen Rupp. You know, if you want to know what relaxed looks like, it doesn't mean easy. doesn't mean easy because, you know, if they're running – 1248 for 5,000 meters, you know, that's not easy. But if you look at them externally, you wouldn't know if they're running six minute pace or four minute pace. They're, they're just so relaxed, even though it hurts inside, you know, that's a skill that is a game changer for a lot of kids when they realize that it's actually easier to run fast if I just don't tense up. Yeah. We always tease Dean when he crosses the finish line, it looks like he's not working because he's pretty relaxed when he runs. (laughs) Even though you're dying inside. Yeah, we My my grandpa Hilliard, he would get frustrated. He'd come and watch me run in high school and say, well, just didn't look to me like you were trying. Grandpa, <laughs> I can assure you, I was trying. <laughs> That's all I had. Well, didn't look like it. <laughs> so it sounds like you have athletes doing, you know, similar workouts, but you 
customize it specifically to where they're at, but what are some of the keys to keeping your athletes healthy? A lot of those keys are, are things that are done before and after practice. Before every run, whether it's a workout or if it's just an easy recovery run, we do the same activation drills and warm-up drills before every single run, you know, where we start with some glute activation. Every key muscle group we're working more before workouts to warm up than we are to stretch. That's a, that's a big change from my day when it was just cold, static stretching. You know, we will do some of that, you know, with bands post-workout. You know, our kids are foam rolling after recovery runs and, and workouts. We've got a couple sets of recovery boots that are in my office and kids can come in and use any time. You know, before that, it was ice baths all the time. And, and we still do that. Our, our new athletic facility, at USI, which are our new, what was the pack is now Screaming Eagles complex. And in the training room, we've got a huge hot whirlpool, a huge cold whirlpool beside it. Before that, you know, we had two Rubbermaid cattle troughs that I got at Rural King. Uh, that we've we've used for years and we still use them, but that's a tough sell in December, you know. Okay. So uh, to to have those facilities indoors is definitely nice for us. I preach, you know, to the point that kids are probably in tears from hearing it so often. Just the little things. The little things are the things that add up over time. You know, just taking five to eight extra minutes pre-run and post-run to get your body warmed up and primed to work out. And then on the cool down side, to make sure that you're setting yourself up to, to be ready to go. And, and after, after workouts, you know, we have 2% chocolate milk. There might be other recovery drinks that are, might be better. There's no recovery drink that I can get every kid to consume right after workout, like a can with chocolate milk, mm-hmm. you know, so, so we can, we can hit them with that in that glycogen window when I know their body needs it. Uh, and they like it and they look forward to it, you know? So um, those are some things that we never did. You know, I, I can remember in college finishing a workout and it might be another two hours before I grabbed a water bottle or got to the cafeteria to eat, you know, when my body is starved and, and that missing that window sets recovery back 24 to 48 hours just because, just because you missed that, you know, when, when you talk about small gains or marginal gains, you know, those things over the course of four years, really do add up. Do you offer nutritional recommendations or work with a nutritionist with your athletes? We did this for the first time, I think, um, three years ago. We met with a one of our professors at USI. Uh, she teaches uh, sports nutrition classes at USI. So, so we we did three different consultation meetings with her, uh, with the team. Now. You know, I'll just send kids to her on a one-on-one basis because she loves working with athletes to help them through that process. Sometimes it's kids that I know aren't getting enough calories. You know, sometimes it's kids that I know are getting eating the wrong calories. You know, those kids that don't don't ever eat anything green. Sometimes it's someone who might be a vegetarian, which is fine. But as an athlete, if you're vegetarian that can be tough to maneuver and, and stay out of the, you know, anemia, <laughs> stay out of the anemia zone. We've had more than our fair share of those. And along that topic, last year, not this season, but the year previous, 
of our girls roster that year, 20 out of 22 had either been anemic at some point in their career or had recently gotten blood work and found out that they were 20 out of 22. The only two that never had been are two girls that had only ran one year in high school and they never ran more than 20 miles a week. They were the only two. So that's something that I ask all of our athletes to do when they get their physicals over the summer is get a blood profile and I need to know what your serum ferritin number is. First and foremost, we need to know what that is. With the guys, it's maybe 20% of the time they'll come back with low ferritin numbers. With the girls, if it's the first time they've ever had it, it's well over half um, every every single time. And that is uh, probably the biggest performance limiter that we deal with, but it is a very, very easy thing to catch, you know, as long as as long as you're checking for it. So fortunately we have uh, our uh, resident physician in the student health center at USI, Dr. Harbin. He, he, he's fine with it. He knows that I send kids over there all the time. He knows what to check for. And it's, it's, you know, he gets it, you know, so, sometimes, sometimes they don't, you know, and don't want to do that. But um, we're, we're fortunate. We've got a, a, a pretty good guy. It's almost like an extra staff member, you know, that gives us a lot of a lot of critical feedback that we need. Yeah, we were just recently listening to a Rich Roll podcast where he was talking with Mary Kane. And uh, I'm not know if you're familiar with her, but she was just outstanding and went out to the Nike program. But Mm -hmm. I know she as a female and a lot of females just had so many body image issues and couldn't figure out like there were a lot of things that couldn't be figured out and I don't know I think with female athletes it's even harder to coach them through nutrition is more about fueling your sport not about a number on a scale and yes yeah you're absolutely right (laughs) yeah and what has been or maybe an athlete that has been your biggest surprise you can talk about them generically or you can name their name if you want just somebody who just really surprised you in their college career? Yeah, I I, I mentioned earlier Chase Broughton. From day one to the end of his career is is definitely one of the biggest uh, surprises I've ever had. And and on on the women's side, I would say uh, Jamie Atkins is probably at the top of of that list, you know, to go from, I think, 601 in high school, pretty limited experience to being a second team All-American, 10,000 meters and going on to qualify for the Olympic trials. She certainly, when she came in as a freshman and was really green and new to the sport, she's not one of those kids that I would have looked at and said, you know what, five or six years after college, I bet you're still going to be chasing this thing. I would have said, no way, you know, if she gets through four years, that'll be great. You know, but there's there's no way this kid's going to still be hungry and chasing this thing, you know. But, yeah, she's she's definitely probably number one on the girl's side. I would also say Jennifer Camastri, who is one of our all time greats here. And, and she fortunately, thanks to COVID, we have another cross country season and another outdoor season with her next year. So she wants to break 16 minutes next year. I think she's got a good shot to do that. And hopefully lower school record in the 10K. But Jennifer was a, just attended USI her freshman year, just as a general student. She was unrecruited. She ran close to 21 minutes for 5K in high school. And I think her, if you get on mile split 
she ran 556, 557 her senior year in the 1600. That was her mile PR. So obviously I didn't recruit her. I'm, you know, I'm not looking down into results that deep, you know, to the 300th best girl in Indiana, if that. So when she was a freshman here, she started running with a running club a few days a week, which is they don't compete, you know, like some running clubs at IU and Purdue. It's a group of kids that get together and run two or three days a week. So she started doing that really started enjoying it. Next thing she knows, she's running 40 plus miles a week. And toward the end of her freshman year, she just popped into the office one day and introduced herself and asked if what it would take to be on the team. And by the end of the discussion, I said, you're more than welcome. I'll add you to the list and I'll keep in touch with, with you this summer. So now she's run 16, 15 for 5,000 meters and is a five-time All-American. And, you know, she could barely break six minutes in high school. So that one was pretty, pretty mind blowing to see that. One more example I'll give you. We had a girl a few years ago who played four years of soccer at USI and never competed in any type of running race in middle school, high school, never had. The only running she'd ever done was just conditioning for soccer. Um, Her name's Julia Conan. She finished 10th at the Olympic marathon trials last year. Uh, I think her marathon PR now is 229. I was out running by chance. I was on the bike path one day. Soccer season had just ended. She was a senior. And I'm two and a half miles out on the bike path, and I'm on my way out. And I see this girl on her way back. So I know she's done the full round trip at six miles back to campus. She had on a USI soccer shirt, and I thought I'd seen her around before, but I wasn't sure. So I finished my run. I get back, and some of the guys are doing drills and core and rolling out and I said, hey, I saw this girl out running on the bike path. She was flying. Here's what she looked like, blah, blah, blah. And Michael Callison said, oh, that's Julia Conan. I've got class with her tomorrow. I said, well, can you ask her to stop by the office? And uh, he said, sure. So the next day he brings Julia by the office. I convinced her to start running with us just to see if it's something she might want to try because she was going to go to grad school the next year, but hadn't decided where. So the first week of practice from talking to her, I knew that she was already running six miles a day, was running like 640 pace on everything. So I said, I tell you what, we're going to, we're going to do a mile warm up, and then we're going to run three miles pretty quick because I just want to establish a baseline of where your fitness is. So she'd never run a race in her life. She did a three mile time trial and ran 1708. <laughs> I naively tried to run this with her along with my assistant coach and we were about six flat the first mile then like 545 and then the last mile was like 530 and with a half mile to go I had to tap out I said Mike you got it from here I could I was done and I was expecting to run six minute pace the next thing I know we're running 530 pace and I was my old body was not having it she ended up the next fall was 10th at the cross-country national championships she came within a half second and win a national title in the 10K in her first track season. And now she's on runs for Hoke and AZ Elite. She's on a pro contract and is training full-time as her profession. And I happened to see her on the bike path one day and said, Hey, do you want to try this? You know, and, and then I talked her into coming back for grad school and, and then she kind of took off from there. But there's talent everywhere, you know, and sometimes it's just dumb luck, you know, when when you come across it because I guess I helped her get her start and develop a love for the sport, but her, her talent was undeniable. I mean, that was there from, from day one. Mm-hmm. Some really good stories. You've really had a, a big impact on a lot of athletes. Well, you know, the other side of that is they've certainly had a big impact on me. It's been a while since we had a, a class reunion 
but you know, just, just being around them and feeding off their energy all the time, I feel like it keeps me young. The last class reunion I, I went to after about an hour, I told Jessica, I said, why don't we leave? I don't want to hang out with these old people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I can even relate to them. Yeah. Yeah. Being athletic, it does keep you young. Yeah, for sure. It keeps you young until you get old. <laughs> so Mike, do you have a scripture you'd like to share with us? Yeah, actually my, my wife just passed me a note and she, she wanted me to share, share this story. So I'll share it with you. All right. Uh, you, you, you asked about a moment when, you know, I realized that maybe I could be okay at this sport. The, the moment that ins- really inspired me two years before that, when I was in the sixth grade at Enfield High School, Enfield, Illinois, we loaded up the bus to go to a track meet. The bus was at capacity. Our coach got on the bus and did a head count. We were one over capacity. So he pointed to me and said, Hilliard, go back to class. So there was no like, let's try to figure out who. Yeah, it was just like, I'm sitting there in the front. Hilliard, go back. Now, I will admit I wasn't very good, but I know there were 20 kids on that bus that <laughs> should have been booted before me. You know, so I went back to the locker room and I cried and finally got up the nerve to go back to class because I knew everybody was going to ask me why I wasn't going to the track meet. And so I vowed that day that when the next track season, I was going to show him, well, the next year funding was low, so we did not have track. So I had to wait until my eighth grade year. But that gave me another year for the fire to burn. <laughs> so, but um, you you asked me about uh, scripture, and this is this is one that I've I've always I've loved since high school, but particularly since I coached the Screaming Eagles is Isaiah forty thirty one. Um, Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. Yeah, that's a great one. It's, that's so encouraging. Yeah. Anything else you want to share with our audience? Uh, no, I think that's, we've covered a lot. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, tell your wife, thanks for letting us steal your evening. You're welcome. She, she's right here. <laughs> and your dogs were very well behaved. They, yeah, I think, I think they're asleep by now. I will so, be soon. Yeah. Well, as, as, as soon as I get uh, up and running with training peaks, I'm sure I'll be reaching out to you guys with some questions. We'll be glad to help you. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Mike. All right. Take care. Well, Coach, I hope our listeners enjoyed Mike's interview as much as we enjoyed talking with him. Yeah, it was really good just to hear his insights from 25 years of coaching and a A lifetime lifetime of endurance athletics. I agree. So if you would like to be part of the conversation, look us up on Facebook RYR Endurance Team, and we will let you into the group. You can ask us questions about the podcast or give us topics that you would like to hear, or if you're interested in coaching, check us out on our website, RYREnduranceTeam.com. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com.
Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.